Well, happy Easter, community of faith. How are we doing this morning? Yeah. How about an overflow out there? How you doing? Yeah, I can hear you. You guys sitting at home, I hope you're doing well also. Wow, what a service so far. You know, it, it, I, I didn't even realize, it, was that Morgan Freeman, you know, on, on the narration? I didn't even know he went to our church, you know? A few years back, a little gal by the name of Danielle Bradbury was on The Voice, and she's a member of our church, and, and she went all the way through, and she won it. This year, Dana, that you just heard, she's one of ours. She's on The Voice right now, and we're going to push her all the way through too, right? <clears throat> and the reason why I want to do that is because she is so humble. It's all about God. It's all about the Lord. You can see that. You can feel that. She has that talent. She has that it factor, but... It just points back to God. When you talk to her one-on-one, -on -one, it's just amazing. So I'm just excited about what God's doing. You know, it's, it's been a really difficult year for a lot of us, a uh, year and a half even. And uh, I know, it was just barely over a year ago, I lost my dad. I know many of you have lost someone dear to you in this season. And you know what, what's interesting is when I was thinking back over it, I mean, I really, really miss him, but some of the things that I miss are those little things that he used to do that irritated me so badly at, at the time. You know, it's funny like that because like my dad, he would call me up back when everybody was going to movies. You know, he, he and my mom loved to go to movies and, and, and he would say, hey, did you see? And it was the latest movie. And I'd say, no, but Laura and I are gonna go Friday night because they would always go during the week, during the day, you know? And he would say, Oh, it was so good. I said, yeah, we're going Friday night. And then he would tell me the whole plot and the ending. <laughs> and I would say, maybe we'll wait till it comes on video. You know, uh, I, I remember, I mean, that started a long time ago. You know, 20 years ago, The Sixth Sense. How many of you remember that movie? You have to, you know, Bruce Willis is a child psychologist. It's totally believable. And here's the thing. The ending is a shocker, right? And here's dad. Hey, Mark, did you see The Sixth Sense? No, we're going Friday night. I don't want to spoil the ending for you, but Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> Once you know Bruce Willis is dead, I mean, it just changes everything. I mean, you see it, the movie from a whole different way. Like, you realize, oh, he's, his wife's not really talking to him. Nobody's in it. I mean, only the little boy who sees dead people, right, is talking to Bruce Willis. And it just changes everything. I was thinking about that because that is our perspective of Easter compared to the disciples. If we look at the disciples of Christ, they had that Good Friday. They didn't know what was gonna happen. They, they were depressed, they were down, they were under the rug. And we look back and we see everything from the perspective of, uh, of Jesus rising from the dead. We know what happened. Jesus is alive, it's the opposite of Bruce Willis. He's alive, you know? He's alive and we see that and we're like, no, no, he's alive. Don't worry guys, he's alive. But they can't see it. We had a, an amazing Good Friday service. I don't know if you were here for that. A lot of you were. But, you know, it, it was just so moving and so touching. We had a gospel quartet that was singing at the very end, and they were singing the song, Were You There? When he died upon the cross. Were you there when they put him in the tomb? And I know, I knew that the next part of it were you there when he rose up from the dead and I was getting ready to stand up? And then they were done though, and they quit. 
and everything was over. Thank you for coming to our Good Friday service. And I remembered, oh, it's Good Friday. That's right. You know, I, it, it, he hadn't risen yet. We were remembering what he did for us on the cross. Well, the story that Laura and I want to talk to you about is a Sunday afternoon story. Usually you hear the Sunday morning resurrection story at the tomb, but these are two disciples. They're not the 12 disciples. There's, you realize there was many of Jesus' followers became his disciples. And then there were those 12 really close ones. But it's Cleopas and another guy that's not named. They're on their way back to their little town where they live after all the events that have happened. It's Sunday afternoon and they are down in the dumps. I mean, they are discouraged. You can't get more discouraged. Why? Because God disappointed them. God didn't come through. God failed them. They knew it. They could see it. They could taste it. They, I mean, God failed them. Maybe you're here this morning and it, it just feels like that for you. God has failed you. You knew he was gonna come through in a certain situation and he did not come through. One of the things I love about Community of Faith is that we have the opportunity to reach so many people that are so far from God and there are so many, some of you in this room right now might be, call yourself agnostic and you are so welcome here. It's a great place to just kind of sit back and, and, and see what's going on. Agnostic means that you think there's a God but he's just not interested. He spun the world and created stuff and then he just stepped back. One of the things that's been so amazing is how many agnostics have come to faith in Christ here at Community of Faith. I, just last couple weeks ago, I got to lead another guy. He came into my office. He wanted to talk to me about his marriage and some things. And he said, I want to tell you right up front, I'm agnostic. I said, that's great because you're going to probably meet Jesus today, you know? <laughs> and before he left, he had stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Everything changed. But see, I found that most of the time it's because we're angry at God disillusioned with God. And we say, is there even a God, an atheist? I, I was talking to a guy one time, he said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I am so mad at him. And I thought, okay, <laughs> let's talk about that, you know. But we feel that way sometimes, don't we? Let's, let's get into the story. And I just want you to kind of um, put yourself in their shoes, okay? Later in Luke 24, it says this. Later that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. Amazing. Jesus, the risen Jesus, he just steps up beside them. They were unaware that it was actually Jesus walking alongside them for God prevented them from recognizing him. Now, this is an amazing thing about this story. The risen Jesus, this is the first time actually that Luke says that the risen Jesus appeared to somebody. The other gospels had already talked about some things at the tomb. But Luke, in his gospel, he says, you know, the risen Jesus, he came and he walked alongside him, but God prevented them from seeing him. Why would God do that? Because God wants them and us to see Jesus 
but not with our physical eyes first. He wants us to see him in another way. And we're gonna talk about that because Luke knew that he was writing to us, those of us who would not see Jesus physically in the flesh. And he said, there's another way to see and to know. Let's go on with the story in verse 17. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? So sad and gloomy. They stopped. And the one named Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? Jesus asked, what things? I love this verse. I think it's so interesting that Jesus asked them what things because I mean, he knew, right? He had just lived it. He knew exactly what had happened, but he asked them what things. And for me, it's just a really cool reminder that God wants me to talk to him. He wants me to share with him, and especially in those times when I'm feeling down and discouraged and depressed, he says, come to me and talk to me. Tell me about what things are going on in your life. I remember, you know, you may think about your kids and your grandkids and how they, if they've been at church and they've maybe learned a a story in the COF kids and they come and tell you about what they've learned that day. I mean, you love to hear it from their perspective, right? You probably already know the story, but to hear that child come and share it with you, it warms your heart, right? You want them to share with you. We had two of our grandkids here this week, Zoe and Owen, and I promise you that Mark or I, either one, would stop anything to listen to them when they talk anything they share with us because we love to hear life from their perspective. And it wouldn't matter what time it is or what's going on in our life. It could be 5.30 in the morning when three-year-old Owen comes and jumps in our bed to snuggle with us or if we're studying or working, we'll stop everything to sit down and listen and look them in the face. Yeah, and that's, Owen always wanted to be the bad guy. Uh, you know, he it is was the so bad funny. guy he's right free, now. And I don't know what that means for the future, but like we're <laughs> playing games and he's, I'll be the bad guy. And he was always the bad cat. He loved to be a bad cat, you know, it was great. And so we have a cat named Dimitri. He goes, I'll be bad Dimitri. And I remember one time I caught Laura, you know, and I was the bad guy with him. I'm like, oh yeah, and he's the bad cat. And he goes, oh yeah, you know? And I thought, well, yeah, I guess that's he's, what a bad cat does. He's really good at staying in character. When he's a cat, he is a cat all the way. I don't know where he gets that. (laughs) But you know, with your kids and your grandkids, you love to hear from them. You love to talk to them. And Jesus is exactly the same way. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. There's nothing you could tell him that he doesn't already know, but he wants to hear from you. He loves us that way. And it's so good for us when we do that. I know many of you know that I was diagnosed with cancer back in 2009. I was diagnosed with stage three colorectal cancer. And I remember those earliest days when we had just found out and we were going to different doctor's appointments. And I remember coming back to the house one day and Mark had gone on to the office and I walked in the house all by myself. And I was just so, I don't even really know the word. If you've been diagnosed with cancer, you understand that, but just so out of sorts and confused and not understanding. I couldn't see God and all of that, and I didn't understand what was going on and walked in the house. I remember I just yelled at the dog and I kicked the cat's bowl, and then I went and just fell into the chair in my office. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, are you here? Can you see me? Do you know this is going on? And though I couldn't see him, I began to just pour my heart out. You know, God, what about my kids? 
And what about Mark? And what about my parents? Are you here? Are you listening? And I didn't get a lot of clear answers that day, but I found that God was there as I poured out my heart to him in the midst of my grief and anxiety and fear and everything that was going on, I found him there and it changed me. I came to him with a heavy heart and I walked away with a light one, knowing that he was there and he listened and he cared. And that's what these disciples found out that day. They didn't understand what was going on. They were deeply discouraged and lost all hope, but they found that Jesus was there that day. Where do you go when you're angry at God? What do you do? I mean, most of us wanna just, oh, I'm not gonna be around church, I'm not gonna talk. God says, just come to me. I've got big shoulders. You're my little girl, you're my little boy. I can handle it. Have you ever, like, say, God, I just feel like cussing your name right in front of God? You say, no, strike me dead. No, he wouldn't. He loves you. He loves you. Even when you don't feel like he does, even when it doesn't seem like he does. They were telling Jesus what happened. It just all poured out. Look at what they said. Jesus asked, what things? And they said, the things about Jesus. The man from Nazareth, they replied, he was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles, wonders. His words were powerful. He had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. But we trusted that it had been he who should have redeemed Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. And then they claimed that two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and we found the tomb exactly as the women had said, but no one has seen him. One of the things I love about the Bible, how so many times it shows itself to be accurate. The Jewish rabbis of this time, they were not high on women. In fact, they said women should not testify in court because they're extremely unreliable. Can you imagine? And yet, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to the women first. That's what we find out later. He appeared, if you were gonna try to write something to convince people a made up story, you would not have him in this day appear to the women. First, he would have had to appear to the men to make it official, right? But the Bible just speaks history. It says this is what happened. And I love that God appeared to the women first. Mary Magdalene. Her whole life had been changed. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. And she's at the tomb and she's crying and, and his body's gone and with tears in her eyes, she doesn't recognize Jesus either. And I don't think it's because God prevented her like he did these two, but just because she's got her eyes full of tears and she sees the feet of someone there and she thinks it's the gardener and she says, if you've moved his body, please tell me where and I'll take it, I'll take care of it for you. And then Jesus speaks one word her name, Miriam in Aramaic. Miriam, just the way he had always said it and she knew who it was. See, Jesus knows your name. You might think he's a million miles away but he is speaking your name. You're not here by accident. You're not over in overflow by accident. You're not watching at home by accident right now. Jesus 
knows. You got here because God wanted you here. You said, no, I got here because my wife dragged me. It's Easter. God used your wife to drag you here, okay? Because he wanted to say these things to you. In, in these verses, they plainly tell us why they had lost hope, why they were so disillusioned. The reason was because Jesus didn't do what they knew that he should have done. They said it like this, but we trusted that it had been he who would have or should have redeemed Israel. Have you ever trusted God to do something that he didn't do for you? God, if you'll just, we were trusting that God understood the importance of the agenda. We were trusting in him to redeem us from Rome. I mean, our trust was misplaced. God didn't come through. We had seen him break the bread and the fish in two and feed 5,000 people and we thought, finally, the age of hunger has come to an end. We'll never be hungry again. No one in the world will go hungry. We have a new king. We saw him heal the blind and the lame and the crippled. And we said, the world, the age of handicap has gone away. The new king is gonna heal and make a difference. We have the new king and we're here at his right hand. We care about all of this. We heard his powerful oratory and how he just spoke God words. We thought, God is among us. The Messiah has come. He's going to rule. He's gonna reign. He's gonna destroy Rome. He's gonna destroy the emperor. And then we saw that the time was at hand. I mean, at the beginning of this week, he's coming into Jerusalem and it's like all of Jerusalem turned out throwing down palm branches and saying, Hosanna, which means you're gonna save us. Save us now. Hosanna means save us right now. Redeem us right now. Deliver us right now. We believe in you. We bless you, great liberator. And we're thinking, <laughs> yeah, the show is on the road. This is the greatest show. You can almost see him doing that, right? But suddenly, things took a, a terrible turn. Instead of grabbing the sword and, and, and sounding the battle cry, he humbly submitted himself into the hands of the enemy. One of our own kissed him on the cheek and betrayed him. And they took him away. But we know he has the power to not be taken away, but they, he allowed them to do it, to scourge him. It was awful. To spit on him. And then they nailed him to a tree. And we're still waiting. He's gonna come down. He's gonna come down. He's gonna rip those nails out and he's gonna rip those guys' faces off. I don't know what he's gonna do, you know? And they spit on him even on the cross as he hung there naked. And they said, you saved others, now save yourself. And we're going, yes, save yourself, Jesus. Save yourself, Jesus. Save yourself. It's time, it's time. And we silently prayed, save yourself. Call a legion of angels down. Rule and reign, we know the agenda. And then we saw him bow his head and breathe his last breath. Wait, what? I can't 
I can't believe it. Where is God? Does God not care? And because Jesus didn't meet their expectations, unbelief filled their heart. And because of unbelief, they lost hope. You know, when we have an expectation and we think we know exactly what God is gonna do and things don't work out that way, it's really hard for us, isn't it? But you know, the Bible told us that things were gonna be that way. You remember Isaiah 55, eight through 11. I don't think the way you think, God says. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. I think that's what happened to the disciples. They had an expectation of what God was gonna do, but his way surpassed that. His thinking, the way he worked, was nothing like what they could think of. In this passage, you see them begin to call Jesus a prophet instead of the Messiah. They're so discouraged, they're so distraught, they, they think, well, he must have just been like one of the prophets of old that died. He's not who we thought he was because the Messiah was gonna come and liberate his people. He was gonna come and set us free and Jesus is dead. These men lost all hope the day that Jesus died. And I imagine there are some people here today or listening today that you feel a little bit the same way, that you've lost all hope, that God didn't do what you expected him to do. That happens a lot to us, I think, and we begin to fall into that unbelief and that hopelessness. Maybe it happened during a time of crisis in your life. Maybe your marriage was struggling and you were really praying, God, please save my marriage. And it didn't turn out that way. And you suffered the pain and the heartache from a broken marriage. And even though some of that was due to personal choices and behaviors, you began to blame God and you fell into unbelief and hopelessness. Or maybe that you thought being a Christian would mean health and wealth and comfort, that God was gonna take care of all of those issues that you've been dealing with and the issues in your family and, and you began to follow him and yet you found that that wasn't true. Those things didn't happen. It didn't happen like that guy on TV said that it would and so you fall into unbelief and hopelessness. Or maybe you started coming to church. You felt like something was missing in your life. And it was exciting at first and you started to get plugged in and you were learning new things, but then somebody said something that hurt you and you turned away and you fell into unbelief and hopelessness. It wasn't what you expected. God didn't do what you expected. I wanna tell you if you're at a church, a church is full of human beings and if you're looking to them to hold you up, you're always gonna be let down. But God's ways are different. They're higher, they're better. When things get dark in our life and, and they don't make sense, we start to question who Jesus is. Was he really who he said he was? Is the Bible really true? Did the things he said he do, was, was he really that powerful or not? And we fall into unbelief and we fall into hopelessness. Listen, the reason, to coming, the reason for coming to Christ is not so that your marriage can be saved and it's not so that you can have health and wealth and comfort and have all the problems settled in your life. If God does those things, that's great, but the reason for coming is because the Bible says we are all sinners and sin has separated us from God. Sin has doomed us to an eternity separated from God. But when we come to Jesus and realize that he's the one 
that brings meaning and peace and hope into our lives. He fills that void that we sense in our lives. That's when everything changes. The disciples thought he'd come to redeem Israel, that he'd come to set them free from the oppression of the Roman Empire, but Jesus came to do something even greater than that, to set them free from their sin, to give them an eternity with the Father. Everything changed when they realized that. So you say, well, Mark, Laura, where is faith found then? If I'm in the middle of this, where do I find the faith to believe when I don't understand and I can't figure it out? Why is God not doing what he so obviously should be doing? Maybe you're here today and you've just lost faith. You look at our world and you see war and you see famine and you see heartache and hardship and injustice. Where is God? Or maybe, like Laura said, you experienced that devastating loss in your own life and, and God didn't come through. And you feel like God just doesn't care, agnostic. Or he's not there, atheist. Or you're just let down by God, a discouraged believer. Look at what Jesus says to these guys because he's saying it to us this morning. Then Jesus said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, the Bible says, don't call someone a fool. So Jesus didn't use that word in the Greek. It's a different word. It's a soft word. It's a word that you would say to your little one when they're acting out or something. Oh, silly, come on. Let's do something different here, okay? It's a warmth word that he would say to you, little girl, Little boy, you're mine. You're, you're kind of being foolish right now. Let's, let, let's look at this. And he said, slow of heart literally means a heart that easily gives way to doubt and distrust. See, over and over again, he had told them what was gonna happen. He told them he was gonna die. And then three days later, he's gonna rise. And, and they never heard that. It just went right over their head. Why? Because it didn't line up with their agenda. It wasn't what they expected. Listen to what he says. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning with Moses, that's Genesis. He says, guys, remember in Genesis, God handed the planet over to mankind. He said, this is your planet. Have dominion over it, and he meant it, and mankind fell into sin, which warped everything, war, famine, death, disease. Every bad thing that ever happened to you was caused by us, not God. And, and God won't step over us and take dominion back. He keeps his word. The wages of sin, death, always death. And we have this giant snowball of sin and death down through the generations. And you've contributed to it. All of us have contributed to it. Sin and death reign over this broken world now because this is who we are. But God didn't leave us to a fate of our own. Being so full of mercy, he did the only thing he could do. God so loved our broken world that he gave himself, his only son. He gave himself as a sacrifice 
and he took our punishment and he offers us life. And he brought the kingdom of heaven back to this failed prodigal planet and he called out a people, his church. And his kingdom reigns in their heart. That's what we were singing about. All hail King Jesus reign in me. And we go out and heart by heart, person by person, we start to bring the kingdom of God back. Whether it's bringing justice to little girls who are sex slaves in the Philippines or right here in Houston. God has called us to make a difference. And Jesus, remember, he said to his disciples, he said, remember, I said to you, in this broken world, you will have trouble, tribulation, trial. It's gonna happen. And it seems pretty clear in Bible prophecy that one day we're gonna destroy it all in a terrible nuclear war. The Bible says the elements will melt with intense heat and only nuclear fission can do that. And God is gonna take over again and make a new heaven and a new earth where justice and mercy kiss each other, where righteousness reigns, not sin and death anymore. Of course Easter happened because it was God's plan all along. When you can't see Jesus, look to his word, look to his resurrection. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. What I'm saying is when we interpret our hardships in the light of our little small agenda, we don't get it. But when we begin to look at the giant agenda of God and we say, God, I want on your story. I want in on your story, not my little story. See, we're always asking God to come down on our little story. Instead, he says, join me in my big story, the great story, the story that is the only story that ever matters. Come and join me in my story. And yes, you're gonna have trouble. Yes, you're gonna suffer. Yes, it's gonna be difficult. You live in a broken world that you broke yourselves. But I love you. I'm here for you. I care about you. I want you to do a little experiment just as we close up. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to give us, at Community Faith, give us the next six weeks as we go through this new series, Come Back. Come Back, okay? And I want you, you said, I've been out of church for a long time. I'm disillusioned with God or I've never been in church. I'm an agnostic. Just be here. Hear God's word. Hear how it all starts to fit together and you're gonna have these aha moments that come. And just like that man in my office, as we began to talk and God began to move, it's like they say later on, didn't it just burn in our hearts? We, it burned in our hearts. We felt it as he was talking to us. The, the, the Bible, the, the scriptures, the prophecies, they came alive to us. Maybe you're saying if I could just see Jesus in the flesh, if he had just come, you know, if, if lightning and thunder would come down, I would believe, no. He says, if you will listen to my word, if you will hear my word, then at some point you're gonna understand, it's gonna be like it hits you, like faith hits you. I've talked to so many, they said, I was here and about the fourth time or the fifth time or the sixth time that I was here, all of a sudden, I got it, it hit me. So that's the holy ex experiment that I want you to do, be 
here. Give us six weeks. Give us six weeks and see if God doesn't change your life forever. I, I, I know he will. I've seen him do it. We're gonna baptize here at the end of the service. What is baptism? Baptism is just another tiny story that God asked us to share. You know, it, there's nothing magical about baptism, but as you step into this journey with Christ and you trade your agenda for his agenda, the first thing he asked us to do was be baptized. And some of you are going, I'm not being baptized. I wouldn't do that. That's kind of weird. If he asked you to climb Mount Everest, to know him, you would have done it, right? Instead, he just asked you to do something simple. The word baptize means to put underwater, immerse. And some of you were baptized as babies, and that was an awesome, awesome thing. But you don't remember that. That was for the priest and your parents. Now it's time to bring that full circle and say, I step into faith for myself and be baptized as an adult. That's who they baptized in the scriptures. Everyone who stepped into that. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in a brand new life. You see the story? Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in a brand new life. We're gonna baptize. We're gonna do that. I'm not saying you're gonna feel, you know, the heavens open. I don't know what, what you're gonna, but it's just that next step of faith. We've got clothes for you out there if you wanna be baptized. If you didn't come planning to be baptized, it's okay. Or just get in, in the clothes you got on. Take your phone out of your pocket, all right? We were baptized right here in this room. I remember an older man that I, I, I baptized. I, I, I took him down. I'd gotten a little too close to the steps because I baptized several hundred of you that day. And I remember I banged his head on the step under the water. And I was gonna apologize to him when he came up, but he came up and he goes, I felt something under there. <laughs> it was like a bright light and boom. And I said, you know, well, God works in mysterious ways, you know, and... I never did tell him. I told that story at church later, a few weeks later, and he came up and goes, that was me, wasn't it? You know? <laughs> but I'm just telling you, that step of obedience makes all the difference. So I want you to pray with me. Close your eyes. I want you to just take everybody else out of the equation right now, just for a moment. With your eyes closed, and that's why I'm asking you to close them, because just you and God. The truth is, if it feels like God is a million miles away, it's not true. Right here in this room, right in front of you, because he's omnipotent, all-powerful, all-present. He's right there and he's speaking your name. Right there in the overflow, he's speaking your name. Right there at home on your couch, he's speaking your name. Will you listen? I'm so angry at God. Good. Tell him you're angry. Talk to it. He already knows all that. If I tell him what's in my heart, it's going to be really ugly. You think he doesn't know what's in your heart? But he didn't do what I feel like he should do. Did you think that our tiny, finite brain was going to grab the agenda of God and understand it? Or are his ways higher? Impossible. Impossible. He wouldn't be God if we could understand him, would he? Let's celebrate together in baptism. God, I ask that you would bless every one of these that are being baptized. Your kingdom would come upon them. 
your will over them. And for every one of us in this room, everyone in overflow, everyone at home within the sound of my voice hearing this message right now, even if it's later in the week, come kingdom of God upon them. Be done will of God over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Give us those six weeks. Let's celebrate together as people are baptized.